This is Peter Hubble, author of Getting Better with Age, Improving Marketing in the Age of Aging, and you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer in 2016. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing. And don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by Peter Hubble, and we're going to talk about his book, Getting Better with Age, Improving Marketing in the Age of Aging. Peter Hubble is the founder and CEO of Boomagers, an advertising agency dedicated to understanding aging consumers. In this role, Peter has become one of the preeminent marketing communications experts in the global aging space and is a much sought-after speaker on boomers and aging. He's also the author of The Old Rush, Marketing for Gold in the Age of Aging, which is a primer for marketers who want to understand the impact of aging on the baby boom generation. Peter grew up on a dairy farm and is now an ad man in New York City. Peter, congratulations on getting better with age, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks, Douglas. Much appreciated. I'm happy to be here. So we were born in the same year, Peter. Seems like you're either you're probably always talking to younger people or older people, but uh, it was at the very end of the Eisenhower administration, uh, in the latter half of the post-war baby boom. So uh, every reference you made to anything in pop culture. Uh, I, I understood. It's not like you had to explain to me that uh, records were once um, on on vinyl, and you would put them on a turntable. I I got all that. <laughs> well, it's it's amazing. I never thought that uh, vinyl would come back, but my millennial son is now pirating my collection. So uh, there you go. I think we we are timeless, and all of our uh, influence and impact on culture is certainly um, showing great staying power. Yeah. So. I think there's some math we need to introduce at the very beginning for the people saying, oh, yeah, this is, we should do this because it's a nice thing to do, you know, marketing to, to the aging people. But, um, let me just throw out two numbers and then please feel free to jump in with any others. The over 50, if I've got this right, the over 50, uh, population, uh, at least in the United States represents 70% of the disposable income and Pretty soon, if not already, they're already one half of the population. That's correct. And, you know, I'll, I'll go one step further and uh, reference something uh, that's been referred to uh, as the longevity economy, which is the sum total of all economic output associated with the 50 plus population here in the United States. That annual number, uh, value of the longevity economy, is $7.1 trillion. Now, let's put that in perspective when you look at that globally. That segment of our economy, which is largely being neglected by um, business and marketing, is larger than any other total global economy with the exception of China. Now, you remember the days when everybody was chasing fast growth in the emerging markets, and we called them the brick markets, right? Brazil, Russia, India, China. Mm -hmm. um, 
that U.S. longevity figure of $7.1 trillion is larger than the total economies of Brazil, Russia, and India combined, which only totals $6.3 trillion. So you have right here with companies racing overseas to deal with temperamental uh, political climates and volatility, uh, etc., you have right here within our own borders uh, a tremendous uh, white space of economic value that has yet to be meaningfully seized. And I'm sure we'll talk about why, but fundamentally, um, uh, it has not been prioritized because we believe that older people are less valuable than younger people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you even said if you're, if you're not interested in marketing to age, that's akin to saying that it's not worth doing business in any markets other than the U.S. and China. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, if you consider the, the people who focus on trends and so forth, right, everybody wants to predict uh, the next trend so they can act on it first. You could make a, a, a very good case for the fact that global aging is the most potent and dramatic trend going on in the world right now. When you consider the impact that it's going to have on public policy, health, and human welfare, it's just, it's real, it's irreversible, um, and I think it's, it's time that, that people start to embrace it for what it is rather than pretending it isn't happening. Mm-hmm. And your first book was uh, The Old Rush, but can you say uh, a bit about that and explain what, what is it you mean by The Old Rush? Yeah, well, if you um, learn from what happened in, in history, right, when gold was discovered in 1849 in California, um, the prospect of exceptional wealth prompted people to take on an incredible level of risk. People tend to forget that there was no easy way to get to California in 1849. So simply the task of getting there involved peril and death. Like going around uh, the bottom of South America. South America (laughs) or or crossing the Panama Isthmus by foot. So you could get a boat on the other side and probably contract a malaria. And if you took a wagon, you got uh, winter arrived sometime in Oklahoma or Nebraska, need I say more. Mm. So when you get there, um, what do you do? I don't know. I've never prospected for gold. Have you? There was no, right? In business, we talk about best practices or case histories. They didn't have any of those, yet it did not deter people from from getting out there. And I refer to the, the gold miners as the original first movers because they moved on the opportunity. And uh, the people who got there first found gold nuggets on the ground. The people who waited and followed had to dig and pan for dust. And this is the the very essence of the opportunity that is marketing to global aging, which is the people who move quickly, and we know who they are because we're working with them, um, are uh, competing in largely uncontested market spaces. Mm -hmm. And one of your clients uh, is Procter & Gamble, is that correct? Uh, That's correct. And uh, world's largest advertiser, the burden of leadership falls on them, and and uh, they are already you know moving on this space uh, most meaningfully uh, with some initiatives in uh, feminine care. Hmm. Interesting. Well, <laughs> you, you you look at a Procter and Gamble and you say, boy, you know, you got to watch them closely because they are really uh, they've been right about a lot of things. They sure have, and and it's easy for you know businesses uh, in the pharma categories, et cetera, uh, health and beauty. Easy for them to focus on aging because for many years they've been targeting uh, the problems or issues associated with aging, and whether it be you know wrinkles or or other things. Um, but the the real 
the reality here um, is that it's less about the problems associated with aging and it's more about the possibilities that this generation is seeing. So I, I know at some point we'll talk about uh, the attitudes of, of this generation, how they're approaching this phase of their life, this, the spirit that they're bringing to it. But it's really, um, uh, we find as we talk to uh, especially younger clients, just uh, really eye-opening to understand how aging people are approaching their life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, let me mention another book. There was another author who's been on the show recently named Bob Hoffman, who you may have heard of. He's known as the Ad Contrarian. And he wrote, uh, we, we talked about his most recent book, um, Marketers Are From Mars, Consumers Are From New Jersey. And he's a real curmudgeon, bomb-throwing kind of guy. And one of the th- big things he talks about uh, is uh, marketing to the aging population. <laughs> Or, as he says in one of his big chapters of his book, why do marketers hate old people? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've actually got a link to that, uh, that article we can include in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. But he then goes into all the numbers that explain, uh, like we just talked about, the, all the disposable income and why these marketers still, uh, keep chasing the youngest, uh, segments uh, of their of their possible buyers even though they don't have the money and he likens it to bloodletting they just they people did that for thousands of years and they thought well we should just let blood to get somebody better that that's just what we've always done but uh why do marketers why do they turn such a blind eye to aging i mean we've already talked about the numbers explain why that happens well well the first uh point there Douglas, is that um, I mentioned earlier is that uh, marketers fundamentally believe that an older consumer is less valuable than a younger consumer. We've always approached marketing as if you can win a consumer uh, when they're young, you'll have them for a lifetime. So if you target a young man when he's shaving for the first time, he'll use your razor and blades for a lifetime. So that has become incredibly ingrained uh, in our approach um, to marketing. The other thing is is we have always uh, coveted and worshipped the power demographic of 18 to 49. And, and that began when the first of the baby boomers turned 18 in 1964. I refer to the baby boomers as the original brand managers because they literally helped to spawn um, the uh, notion of brand management. They were the mass in mass marketing uh, back in the 1960s. We didn't have electronic media until we came of age. Uh, We didn't have plastic credit. So all of modern marketing as we know it, right? Modern marketing for the last 30 years was all all the the processes, um, approaches, philosophies, tools were all optimized around the baby boomer generation in 18 to 49. So the moment that the baby boomers begin to exit from that, right, which they did in totality in the year 2014, the generation, right, Elvis has left the the, uh, building, Um, um, you know, they are forgotten about because marketing has so much inertia around the 18 to 49 graphic. It's, it's not eased by the fact that the average age of an agency employee is 27. The last thing that they want to work on is work for old people. Grandma's house uh, does not smell the way younger people's houses smell. So you have all of these biases towards age that we as baby boomers perpetuated when we were young. Don't trust anyone over 30. Et cetera, et cetera. So there's just a tremendous inertia, I think, is really the one word answer um, to why people are reluctant at this stage to step beyond age 50 and embrace this consumer. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, but beyond uh, the the agency, uh, there's got to be folks. I mean, even at your Procter and Gamble client, I mean, th- obviously they're looking at numbers. Yeah, everybody, you know, you mentioned it earlier. We are to the point now here in the U.S. where 50% of the U.S. population is 50 and older. So you, you, you're a brand manager. You start to look at some of your household penetration data. It doesn't matter what you are marketing. Yes, it's easy to say if I'm marketing um, uh, cosmetics and so forth that it's about wrinkles and anti-aging. But when 50% of the U.S. adult population is 50 and older, that means basic staple purchases that occupy the household are going to be skewing towards that group. And guess what? There's an assumption that, that older people are set in their ways, and if I'm using a certain brand of paper towels and I've been using them my whole life, I'm not going to change. Guess what? The boomers are actually um, showing the opposite behavior. They're going out of their way to embrace things that are new and different because embracing things that are new and different at age helps to validate their desired self-impression of being vital and with the times and trying new and different things. I love the story I told in, in my uh, latest book about the woman that sat next to me on the flight back from Paris, didn't know how to activate airplane mode on her phone and had to call a flight attendant over. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the great irony in that it couldn't operate airplane mode on an airplane, but it, it, <laughs> it didn't matter that she had the latest in technology and didn't know how to work it. What mattered was she was about to fly to New York where social currency is at an all time global high and she had the latest in technology mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's how aging people feel young yeah and you know that part really spoke to me um because uh you know i came from a real traditional advertising background uh like you've been in and over the last i'd say in the last five or ten years certain things were starting to come up that were outside my don draper world and i started to feel uh you know digital things and i started to feel like Dinosaur scales were starting to grow on my arms, and it it really bothered me probably more than a younger person would not knowing something. And so I I I've, I understood that particularly well. And as a result, it's like I I want to learn uh, more about the latest in our field uh, than I probably ever did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you know, I use a a phrase which is we're not getting old, we're growing old, and this is is unprecedented. This wasn't happening a generation ago. We are absolutely determined as a generation. Uh, to discover new and different things, to be focused on self-improvement um, because we're living longer um, and we want our remaining years to be um, a quality of life that's unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Now, you said in the book that if the baby boomer generation was to have its own advertising slogan, uh, it would be the one from Schlitz Beer, which you and I remember from our childhood, not that we were drinking beer in our childhood, but explain what you mean by uh, the, the slogan from Schlitz Beer and how that applies to the boomer generation. You know, the, the old slogan there was go for the gusto, right? And uh, who and knows? That was a big brand. You know, they uh, were on the Olympics when we were kids. And I'll tell you another uh, story there. You know, when, when, uh, when I was not quite the age that I should have been to buy beer and my brother was older, um, I would give him $2 to buy a six-pack of Schlitz for me. And his incentive for doing that was he got to keep the change. So uh, we can talk about that all this changed in our world, including inflation. But you're, you're, you're right. Schlitz was um, uh, one of the top-selling beers um, in the country. 
um, and is no longer even on the radar. But the, the, the notion of go for the gusto, who even knows what gusto is? Um, but it, it spoke to a lifestyle, it spoke to ambition, it spoke to overachieving, it spoke to, you know, that carpe diem kind of attitude day in, day out. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, really, um, you know, when previous generations reached the age we're at, they stopped. We're the generation that's just starting, and we're going to start over and over and over again. Re- retirement as a notion is fuzzy. People don't even know what that means anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing that's salient in retirement is is the letters R-E, re. We are rethinking, reimagining, reapproaching, reinventing um, at this point in our lives. And why not? We can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you talk about how uh, what was surprising to me was a very large number of uh, boomers or people 50-plus, I guess the majority don't uh, – like you said, they have a fuzzy sense of retirement. They don't plan to retire, but there's also uh, some underlying reasons for that uh, about savings and so forth. Can you explain some of that? Yeah, it, it's – you know, when it gets to uh, retirement, there's actually um, – uh, 60% of the boomers are saying that they're going to postpone retirement. 41% say they don't ever expect to or want to. Now, now we may never really know what the motivation for that is. Clearly, um, there are people who are continuing to work out of need. They would never express it as that. So what they're saying is, I'm never going to stop until I stop. <laughs> um, but I, I think that um, you know, you, you've got the baby boomers are exiting the traditional workplace at the rate of 10,000 a day for the next 15 years. And what nobody is focused on as part of that is what that is, and and given that so many of them want to continue to work, um, nobody is focused on the fact that that is going to spawn one of the greatest periods of small business and entrepreneurialism that this country has ever seen. You've got massive free agency market being created by the boomers being disjointed from the traditional workplace. Now, think about this. What we know about the baby boomers is because of their size, um, Kent Dykewald calls them the pig and the python, right? Mm -hmm. Moving, Moving down the length of the python. Because of their size, any time that they made a choice during their existence, um, the impact of their numbers amplified that choice. So as I like to say, when they decided that they wanted a, a proletariat uniform of youthful rebellion, blue jeans were created. They used to be dungarees associated with the working class. We created blue jeans. When we just noticed that uh, calories from our beer were slipping to our waistline, we created light beer, which is a category today that outsells regular beer, the casual workplace, et cetera, et cetera. So you have this, this amplification effect going on. And um, when you have this many people leaving the traditional workplace and, and starting over, I think we're, we're going to see um, just an incredible boon in activity and businesses popping up to service uh, small business creation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so let's go back to the longevity economy that you, that you mentioned earlier. Um, you say if you're marketing to age, what are some of the implications uh, about this longevity economy that that really need to be on your radar as a marketer? I think the the first thing you need to understand is, um, you know, first of all, what is aging? Right? Everybody talks about global aging and so forth, but it's, it's amazing as I travel around the world speaking and so forth. I ask people what's aging, and of course, the audience never responds. I joke and say, you know, aging is when you choose your cereal for the fiber and not the prize. Mm-hmm. But, 
But the, well, wait, the there best, was another one too about the magazine. Yeah, when you don't yeah. recognize the People and People magazine. Yeah, what, what's People magazine? Exactly. I'm just <laughs> what, what, what's a magazine? Right? right. We live in a day and age of podcasts, right? That's right. Uh, um, but um, you know, the, the very best definition of aging um, that I like to uh, wrap my mind around is uh, the one that aging people themselves use, which is the future of living. So this is a generation that's very future focused, focused on 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 living and so forth. And and the future of living for them is characterized by a focus on on well being, joy, and growth. Growth, of course, being something we just touched on. I think if you are are marketing to this, first and foremost, you need to understand um, the older consumer by understanding the dynamic of aging. We know as marketers that the true growth opportunities lie where there are tensions and dynamics and so forth. These are the seams in the consumer existence and the consumer experience where uh, consumers are ripe for innovation. And if you can really understand um, uh, you know, what those are and, and what aging is about, aging is not about biology, it's about psychology. And the psychology of aging is irrational because the rational part of aging, if you think about it, is unpleasant. The rational part of aging says uh, we have a limited amount of time on planet Earth and that our later years are um, typically uh, accompanied by morbidity and ultimately mortality. So we discount all of that. Instead, we say, hey, it doesn't matter how old I am. Age is not a number. Age is a spirit and I feel uh, much younger than my age. So I think for marketers have to first and foremost get in touch with that dynamic of aging and then they need to understand that they aren't solving needs or problems. There is a great orientation in all of marketing. This goes back to the 30 years of inertia, that what clients' products and services do is solve unmet needs, problems, or issues, whether it be ring around the collar, etc. When it comes to aging, an aging consumer does not want to be reminded that they have a problem. They don't want to be told they haven't saved enough money for retirement. They don't want to be told that uh, arthritis could come on or that they have gingivitis, right? Anything with an itis is probably not a good thing to talk about. And so you have to bring positivity to everything that you do. Uh, speak about the possibilities. Speak about the future as if it is endless. You are ageless, my friend. We understand that. And uh, we're here to help you every step of the way. Yes. Uh, let's go a little further because there's one chapter. Well, let me back up and explain for the listener. Um, uh, two-thirds of the book are these uh, 50 pieces of practical advice to help you initiate, plan, and execute a productive program for marketing to age. And don't think I didn't catch that there were 50 of them. <laughs> you are good. And, uh, but, and it goes into great detail about, you know, do's, don'ts, and, and why. And uh, one of them that I thought was interesting was you said, don't market to their maladies. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, and it, it's... um. You know, again, it comes from this, um, uh, you know, we in the business call it the problem solution format. It is actually a format of advertising, whether it was the woman who couldn't make a proper cup of coffee until Mrs. Olson introduced her to Folgers, right? Mm -hmm. De deeply, deeply ingrained in how clients approach R&D and so forth. So if you have spent millions and millions of dollars and years of organizational R&D time solving a problem, okay, and then you come along and you talk about that problem with somebody who's aging. It's, it's like, um, I don't want to have that conversation with you. 
you are telling me that I am broken and I need to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And if you took the time to understand me, right, you'd understand that I'm all about my longevity. I'm all about quality of life, not quantity of life. I'm not trying to sweep some of my needs and issues under the rug, but I am trying to counteract them um, with, with all of the joy that comes with life. Guess what? Scientific proof that there's joy in aging um, and that joy comes from having lived a life well lived and being at a point in time when you're brimming with wisdom and capability. And these, these are all of the things that this consumer wants to engage in. They simply don't want to hear about maladies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and <clears throat> there's some part of the book where you talk about how there are there's probably more similarities between the boomers and the millennials than than most people would think. Can you explain some of that? Well, you know, anytime that I get asked to speak at an industry gathering about uh, the boomers, they always want to pit me against the millennials because that's the conversation, the either or that everybody wants to have right now. Um, and there's a couple of different ways you can go with that. I could go all day long about what some of the um, the issues are with the millennial uh, consumer cohort today vis-a-vis the boomers. Obviously, I'm in the business of the boomers writing books about the age of aging. So there clearly is valuable business potential in the boomers. Um, but start with a simple fact. A lot of people tend to forget that the millennials are the children of the baby boomers and the apples don't fall far from the tree. 92% of millennials say their boomer parents are their best friends. Now, my dad was a great guy, okay? Um, I wouldn't call him my best friend. Would you call your dad your best friend growing up? Uh, no, he, he was a great influence on my life, but I'm not sure uh, he was my pal, and I didn't want to get on his wrong side. <laughs> there, there you go. That's a, that's a different podcast. And then there's, <laughs> then there's growing up on a farm uh, with a father who's a tough dairy farmer. So... Yeah, and my uh, dad was a, a World War II veteran, uh, so it was you know it was like the what was the movie um, Stand by Me? Yeah, where the kids talked about their dads. Yeah, serving. yeah. <laughs> that's what yeah. That was it. Yeah, but but the reality is, as the children of the baby boomers, um, uh, the millennials for the most part share the same fundamental values as their boomer parents. It's just that the values are being expressed differently because they're coming of age in a different context. And so, um, you know, a, a school of thought that says, stop trying to drive the differences between the two. Uh, if you look at uh, human values, right, and values do more to inform behaviors and choices than anything else, the values are very similar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess maybe it's related to what is probably one of my favorite um, quotes uh, and pretty much a life goal for me, which is you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. <laughs> and what's wrong with that? Well, yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I I cling to that immaturity and no one can take it away from me. And, you know, so as a result, here's a guy my age and one of my favorite shows is Family Guy. And I, <laughs> I, yeah. you go back to the 27-year-old the at the ad agency uh, and I just know – I know exactly what you're talking about. They, they're just thinking, God, that's that's really – <laughs> yeah, that's really old, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a problem. Well, let's uh, let me ask you just if you could, what are some of the other big mistakes that marketers make when marketing to age? Well, I, th I think that the the first mistake, right, the premise of my first book is they don't believe that the aging consumer is valuable. 
Um, and, and that just has to do with, with getting out of the inertia and the mindset that they have, right? And, and um, yes, we've, we've, I've actually had clients to say, we've never marketed to the 50-plus consumer. Can you tell us more about them? Well, this, this is, you know. As if they've never right? met one. Yeah, yeah. What you have to remember is that 80% of people in business are below the age of 55, Ooh, so wow. so su- suddenly, you know, when you start working with Peter Hubble and Boo Majors, these are people who are living the lives of the very people that we're talking about. So we're, we're able to be insightful, you know, because, because we've lived their lives. I think that the, the other uh, essential truth to remember um, is that by virtue of the number of years um, that they have been on the receiving end of marketing and communications, the baby boomers are marketing's most savvy consumer. Right, they've been there, done that, heard that. I challenge any car salesman to to uh, win me over. Okay, after I've bought twenty two cars during my lifetime, I know how to buy a car now. Well, and and now you can research every last bit of it before you ever step foot on the lot. Every last bit of it, and you know when their monthly quota expires, and and you, <laughs> you know, know what the dealership paid for the car. You know what the dealership paid, and and so you you go in and you win that transaction. Now, my first car purchase was a different story, so so um, you know you get incredible wisdom. There are a lot of intelligent people in the world, um, but what you have as you age is wisdom, which is intelligence combined with experience. That's what you have going on with this uh, savvy boomer shopper. The, the last point I would make, A, they're valuable, B, they're incredibly experienced and savvy. The, the third one is they're, they're craving respect and understanding. They are starting to realize right, that they are being written out of the script by Madison Avenue. When, when um, uh, I speak, people say to me, especially after the Super Bowl, I ask them what they thought of the ads. And they said, well, I don't understand them. Why is that? Why don't I understand the ads? I said, do you really want to answer that question? And they say, yeah, I asked you, the you question. You mean this, the, the aged people you ask? The, the baby boomers in the crowd okay. say, I, I don't get the ads anymore. <laughs> and the simple answer is you don't get them because they weren't written for you. Right? You don't matter anymore. Now, P.S., does anybody want to trace the history of the NFL and the growth and proliferation of that incredible brand and venue, and who supported that? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, hey, for all you do, this buds for you. Who were the people who drank all that Budweiser, watching all of that football? That's the baby boomers, but people quickly forget that. The point is, uh, because they've been written out of the script and not prioritized, it, it, all of these ads are based on on pop culture and so forth. It gets back to don't recognize the people in People Magazine. So. Um, understand that the baby boomers realize that they've been deprioritized by marketing. They love the brands um, that love them. Um, and if you just demonstrate on a fundamental level that you respect them, you understand them, you admire them, and you represent them faithfully with authenticity in your work, um, you know, you will um, achieve great success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, back to the part about uh, boomers not wanting to completely just retire, whatever that means now, like not do anything. You talked in your book about how uh, your ideal retirement, I'm using air quotes, um, was to go to Nantucket and get some fixer-uppers. Is that is that still uh, one of your goals? Yeah, my definition of retirement, Douglas, is um, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to rewire. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. I want, I want to stay active. I want to do something. I, you know, talking of books, um, there's a, a great book out there called shop class as soul craft. So what it basically is, is, you know, the Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance meets shop class. And the, the fundamental tenant of this book is that the reason that humans are the, um, the dominant species in the world is that we have hands. But as we have evolved and the world around us has evolved, um, we are using our hands to perform fewer and fewer duties. An obvious example of that is we live in a replacement economy now that's part of a service economy. We, we replace objects. We don't fix them. We do less and less with our hands. And so as um, uh, given the link between manual competency and intellectual capacity, um, it is worrisome if you project out all these years of, of what is declining manual competency going to do and how is it going to influence us. Long-winded way of saying um, I've been working in a, in a white-collar environment for many years uh, on airplanes, in conference rooms, on telephone calls. I want to get back to working with my hands. Uh, and that's a classic rewiring. doesn't mean I want to stop working. I'm going to continue to work, but I want to work on different things. I just had a, a friend who rewired um, an executive um, uh, at a uh, large Midwest company, and um, he is uh, training to be a park ranger because he wants to be in the outdoors after years and years of being cooped up. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, uh Peter, uh, I may be your first customer. My wife is supposed to inherit a house on Nantucket, and it needs a lot of work. There you <laughs> so, go. So uh, this might all come together here. It's an expensive island, my friend. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, but it's a house that hasn't been rented ever, and now you know if she gets it, then it's going to need <coughs> it's going to need to be rented. So. Uh, that you see, it's all, it's all, uh, we're working not only on talking about your book, but we're, we're planning your, your, re, your rewiring right here. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> right. So, uh, Peter, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I would hope that they would pledge to forget everything that they thought they knew about aging. You know, we, um, we have these biases that we have allowed to be perpetuated about people of age. The one that gets me is people who get impatient at an old lady crossing the street, as if you're never going to get there yourself at some point in time. But I, I think that you know, when you're adding 30 well, years... I think they do think that. <laughs> yeah. What's the Who song? I hope, uh, the, the, the lyric, I hope I die before I get old. Exactly. Um, you know, when you consider we've added 30 years of life expectancy in the last 100, and we're, we're you know, living longer, um, um, getting older at a later age... Everything has changed. And so um, shame on the person who is operating with a dated understanding um, of what aging is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What books have inspired your work and career? I, um, you know, there's a very special book that I would encourage anybody um, in the consumer business or really any aspect of, of business and life to read, um, which is uh, Deer Hunting with Jesus by um, uh, Joe Badgen. And, and really what um, Deer Hunting with Jesus is all about is a look at the working class in the United States of America. These are the great, you know, beer drinking, NASCAR loving, church going, gun owning Americans that have never set foot in a Starbucks. But these are the people who are showing up and voting for our, uh, the leaders of the greatest uh, country in the world. 
Um, these are the people who are um, uh, buying the best-selling vehicle in America, which many people are surprised to realize is the Ford F-150 pickup truck. Uh, this is the real America. These are not the, uh, the liberalists um, uh, uh, spewing philosophy from the eastern shores of the Hudson River. Um, the, these are the real um, truth-telling, God-fearing people who drive our economy. And I think you've got to read books like this to really understand what's out there. We talk about it like it's a cliche. You've got to get in touch, keep in touch with the consumer, get out and see the real world. Guess what? We don't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're not the uh, first author that has, has talked about that and the importance of just going out and visiting customers at their homes. And, and I'm not talking about, let me back up, uh, <laughs> sitting on one side of a, of a two-way mirror in, in a focus group. You know, this is actually going out, talking to people and, and talking to the actual customers. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. And you know what? This is, you're not the first one. Just recently, someone else recommended that book. And I think the book has been out for, hmm, 10 years or less. I want to say. Yeah. But uh, I, I recently discovered that one. And oh, I think it might have been related to the, uh, the election that's going on. Yeah. And, and you and I emailed about it when you mentioned. That's the, right. I'm sorry. It, it was Peter it, Hubble it, that recommended it. it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. Yes. See, the, the memory goes first, Peter. <laughs> it, it does. It does. But at least, at least it's going. Yeah. So going anyway, to- I was talking to this guy named Peter Hubble one day. And uh, uh, well, are there any recent or upcoming books that, that you recommend or, or looking forward to, to reading? Yeah, I've just uh, bought a copy of a, a great book. I've only turned a few pages of it, um, um, but the name got me. It's called Stoned. It's by Asia Raiden, and it's about jewelry obsession and how desire shapes the world. And um, uh, it's really about how framing up history and desire in the context of, of wanting, getting, and having, and how all human behavior is understood on those dimensions. But any, any book about human desire, um, I will buy it in a second and, and tear through it because I believe that that's what we all desperately need to be uh, especially in touch with um, as, as people seeking to influence how other people think. Mm-hmm. There's another one. Uh, I recently interviewed uh, the author of The Business of Choice by Matthew Wilcox, and he talks about why people, uh, you know, why the human brain does the things it does. And he's looking at it from a standpoint of don't try to swim against that tide. As a marketer, understand why people have those motivations and yeah. uh, you'll be more successful. Um, and then I, I uh, there's another one that I just uh, recently interviewed the author, Jonah Berger. He wrote a book called, a uh, new book, uh, Invisible Influence. And he talks about how uh, people are enormously affected by others, despite uh, what people people think, oh, no, I'm, I'm not influenced by other people. <laughs> yeah. Completely, yeah. He completely skewers yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, that's why he calls it invisible, because people don't realize they're being influenced by other people, but they, they truly are. And he has lots of experiments. Uh, he talks about lots of work in there where they <laughs> they demonstrated. So yeah. interesting. That's great. That's stoned. And then uh, deer hunting with Jesus. Thank you. Those are those both sound very interesting. Um, how can uh, listeners best learn more about you uh, and your book? 
Well, beyond the obvious of, of, of buying the book and reading them. And, and um, by the way, I, you know, being somebody who's in the uh, creative business, these are books that are easy reading, enjoyable, and so forth, because I, I wanted readers to be um, rewarded and entertained. It's the only way I know how to write. So um, uh, if you're used to the typical kind of heavy business read, I, I think that these will be um, easy to enjoy and written in a way that, that there are uh, tidbits, sound bites, factoids that you can pull out of them um, and, and use, and, and to, which makes reading them a, a practical investment of time. But beyond that, um, I'd encourage people to read some of the blogs that I write uh, on a frequent basis that are available on the Boom Majors website. I'm also um, uh, frequently published on Huffington Post, so there's some good thought leadership. But when I write thought leadership, I try to put true leadership into the thinking. I think there's a dearth of, of leadership in thought leadership today. And that's about you know ideas that combine business vision and social mission. And so uh, hopefully uh, all of that might be rewarding to people who are keen on embracing the age of aging. Great. Great. Well, we'll make sure to link up uh, all the things we've been talking about, including a link to your uh, to your blog. The name of the book is Getting Better with Age, Improving Marketing in the Age of Aging. The author is Peter Hubble. Peter, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, a true pleasure. And that closes the book on episode 94 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for links to all the things we talked about in this interview and access to free marketing guides for my agency. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. I love getting contacted by listeners from around the world just like you. If I can answer your questions or perhaps make a book recommendation or you have guest suggestions, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett or send me a tweet at my new Twitter handle at Marketing Book. And please join us next time as we talk with Sean D'Souza about his book, The Brain Audit, Why Customers Buy and Why They Don't. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. And been a real joy, and my boss is a great guy. Oh, good, good. Your yeah. boss? is me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm working for the man, too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and he's an asshole sometimes. But Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's got a good sense of humor, though. <laughs> well, that's right, that's right.